You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Stay standing. I want you to get a visual here, church, because this is, you may ask yourselves, why is it that we spend so much money and invest in campus ministry as a church? This is a reason why. Look at all these men and women who have met Jesus in their college years decided to become disciples, have stayed faithful through the years, are faithful, solid uh, members of the church and love God and serve God. And I just want to lift this up. This is awesome to God's glory. Amen. Let's have a seat. I want you to get a visual to understand why we invest so much in the campus ministry. Uh, for our church to continue to grow and to continue to have impact, even worldwide, um, we need to have a strong college student ministry. Uh, young men and women in their late you know, teens, early 20s, meeting God for the first time, developing discipleship in their life, becoming Christians, staying faithful, um, and to God's glory, it blesses his church. And um, I wanted to share with you uh, sort of where our finances have gone as a church, we have been able to not just have an awesome full-time uh, ministry couple, Greg and Don Russell, leading our campus ministry in a great way, amen? Uh, and I love, I love Greg and Don. Don's about to have her, her baby this fall and building their family and seeing their marriage continue to grow. Um, and then also to see their great work in the campus ministry and different men and women that are getting baptized and being converted, but also uh, spreading out and transitioning to, to bless the church and other ministries. Uh, we were also able this past year to have uh, Taylor Hamilton and DK Ezenekwe serve as part-time interns in the campus ministry. Um, and it's been great to have that. And I wanted to announce to the church and just share with the church that we want to, uh, we have decided to move forward and actually hire DK Ezenekwe full-time in the ministry. Um, DK's back there. Go ahead and stand up, DK. There's DK. And, and DK has uh, seen God call him into the ministry and has done an incredible job working here with the college students. Uh, we've asked him to uh, go full-time to really, you know, this is your career, uh, to go for it and be, be a minister. And he's going to be leading our junior college ministries. Uh, and he's also going to be serving as a teen worker in the teen ministry so he's going to kind of be doing the hybrid of both things, uh, supporting the teen ministry, but also uh, supporting the campus ministry. We're super excited about this investment uh, in the next generation as we continue to raise leaders in the church. Amen, church? Um, the other thing we're doing in the campus ministry I'm really excited about is this summer is a great time for our college students to be trained uh, to continue to move the ministry forward and help people and serve people. And so we're actually going to be hiring uh, six college students, uh, part-time interns, summer, like a summer internship training in the ministry. Uh, we'll share who those are in the next coming weeks. But I'm excited that as a leadership group our, in, in our financial advisory group, we said, man, it is important that we as a church invest in the next generation, that we invest in, in, in raising up leaders for the, in the next generation that it will, it, will, it will show that the church will continue to grow, continue to, th to thrive in future generations. And I'm excited 
to be a part of a church that believes in investing in the youth. And I hope that you are as well. Amen, church? Um, I wanted to share with you next Sunday is our annual missions contribution. Yeah! Okay. Let me help you out a little bit. Let me help you out with with missions a little bit. So um, our goal, our desire, our hope is to raise uh, $105,000 to go towards churches in Mexico and Central America and the Middle East. If you're here for the first time, or you've been coming to our church, or you, or maybe you were became part of our church within the past five years, and you you've been giving missions, but you have no clue where this came from. Let me give you a little brief history lesson. You guys ready for this? In our church, we are um, partnered. We are partners in in a, in a worldwide fellowship of churches called the International Churches of Christ. In the International Churches of Christ, which began uh, this movement of churches began in the late late seventies. Um, we. It's a church that was built on the desire and the dream to go into all nations. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, go and make disciples of one city. No, no, no. Go and make disciples of one nation. No, no, no. Into all the nations, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything. And so as a movement of churches, we really believe that scripture. We really not just believe it, but we want to obey it. We not just want to obey it, but we want, if you're going to be a disciple, this is an expectation for each one of us, that we would make disciples of all nations. And so in the early 80s, there was a, there was a plan to, to start churches all around the world. And we started churches in England and in uh, Africa and in Mexico and in India and just planted churches all over the world. And there was one united vision to raise money, to raise funds, to send missionaries to these parts of the world. And the, and the whole Worldwide Fellowship was excited about, man, we are do, making a difference in the world. We're doing something bigger than just what we're doing right here in our own local city. It was an exciting time. And then in the, in the 90s, there was a very aggressive plan, a six-year plan to say, we're, we want to start a church of disciples in every nation with a city of 100,000 or more. That's a very aggressive plan. In six years, people left jobs. People sacrificed you know, money. Millions of dollars were given. And I'll tell you, it was an amazing time. If you were here in L.A. in the year 2000, we went to the Great Western Forum, I think it was, or the L.A. Convention Center. I can't remember one of those places. About 10,000 people were there, and we saw flag after flag after flag of every nation in the world that had a church of disciples because of our collective effort to make this happen. And it was a celebratory time. We were singing. We were dancing. We were, it was an awesome, awesome time to celebrate what God had done through a few people who just said, Kid, could we actually do this? Go into all the world. In the first 10 years of 2000s, we went through a hard time. Our church went through a very difficult time because we realized a lot of what we did, although was great, was maybe built wrong, was built on, on straw and hay and not so much gold and costly stones. This is a 
referring a, a scripture in the Bible in, in Corinthians that Paul talks about building. And, um, and, and so a lot, there was, a, there was a, a firestorm, if you will, in our churches, and, and, and a lot of churches stopped supporting mission work. And this affected so many third world nations, where a lot of the missionaries had to move back to the United States. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, the, whether it be facility cost or whether it be staff personnel or whether it be uh, just benevolence offerings and different things to help the communities in the third world were diminished and decreased to the point where many of our churches st- ceased to exist. It was a very sad time. Um, as we in the United States in particular started to reevaluate and consider and pray and think and talk and dialogue and pray more and fast more, we realized, listen, at the end of the day, we still have a commission by God, by his son Jesus, to go into all nations and make disciples. And so many of our churches started to cooperate with one another again and work together and say, you know what? We want to do this. We want to see this continue to happen. But what the focus needed to start becoming, even though we we're planting churches, uh, the focus started to become more, we need to strengthen what we have. We need to start sending people back out in the third world to strengthen the small churches that we do have. When you start in the bigger churches, we need to help support, start team ministries and campus ministries, next generation ministries in these other churches where you would have one full-time staff guy leading a group of 400 people. That's a lot to put on a guy. Can you imagine all the parents that want a team ministry or a campus ministry or all the, you know, we need to have a singles ministry and this guy is like, you do it. (laughs) It's a hard time. And so um, a lot of our focus started now in the past few years has been going towards programs to help establish great ministries and, and strengthen the churches that we have. A lot of our churches need this help. Many of our churches, you know, in Mexico City, we have a church of over 4,000 disciples. And in a church of over 4,000 disciples, which is almost a 30-year-old church, they've, they've been around for 30 years. I know because I was seven years old when my parents moved there with 13 disciples to start the church there. It's been around for 30, almost 30 years now. And there's no elder. There are no elder candidates in that church because of what happened. Our mission support decreased to the point where there was not an established youth ministry to in, invest in the next generation. And we lost literally, or a campus ministry, we literally lost almost a generation of children in the faith, which disqualified many men from becoming elders in the church for a 4,000-member congregation. Happened in Guatemala, same thing. Happened in Monterrey and in, in Guadalajara and different places. And I, I say all this stuff just to sober us a little bit. Just to let us know, this is kind of where we come from. It is in our DNA as a Greater Long Beach Church, as an L.A. International Church of Christ. It's in our DNA to give to missions. This is just, it's just what we do because we love people. Remember I talked about last week, what does love require of me? Love requires of me to continue supporting and giving to help my brothers and sisters have what you and I get to have here locally in the church. Amen? And so I want to share this with you just because especially there's a lot of you who have become Christians here in the past couple of years who may not understand sort of why do we do this every year? 
I don't get it. Well, I hope this helps you understand why we do it. We, we, don't, we love the local church. We want to take care of the local community and our local city, and we have a dream to evangelize all of Long Beach and go throughout the surrounding communities. We, we have that. But we want to be also a church that obeys the Great Commission to go into all nations, that we are concerned about all nations. The other factor is we are a first world nation, are we not? We have, even though our economy is kind of up and down all the time and not great, we have a lot more than your brothers and sisters in El Salvador or in Guatemala or in Honduras or in different parts of the Middle East. You, you guys follow me on this? And so it is, Jesus says, Jesus says two things that always stands out to me. To those who have been given much, much will be demanded. Not even asked, demanded. And he also says, freely you have received, Freely give. If there's anybody that these two statements that Jesus makes applies to, it is to American disciples, American Christians, the American church. We live in a very prosperous nation in comparison to other nations around the world. And so when Jesus tells you and me as an American disciple, hey, to those who have been given much, much will be demanded, be ready. Because much will be demanded of us. When Jesus says to us, freely you've received, you didn't do anything to deserve what you get. It's been given to you by God. Then freely give. We need to have a, take a sober look at that. And so I want to just share these things with the church. Not, not to be like, you know, you know, come on, what's wrong? No, it's just to give us a big picture. Help us understand. Bless you, George. Help us to understand sort of what's happening around the world. I'm really excited. Uh, recently, I was um, uh, part of some meetings to now be part of the board uh, of the Mexico and Central American Mission Society. And so uh, I'm going to be able, in the Coastal LA region of churches, we have four people that are going to be on the board, and that's going to be myself, Sergio Polito, Luis Catuño, and Steve Marici. And we're all going to be serving on this board to help determine, sort of as we give, where, where are we going to give? Where are we investing? How is this money being not just managed, but who are the people that we're investing in to raise up in the, in, to, to continue the work in the ministry in the churches in Mexico and Central America? My dad was a, uh, really, he, he's the one that made and created this mission society from Mexico and Central America. And so he's actually going to be coming next Sunday and preaching for us, which I'm excited about. And he's going to be sharing a lot of different things, uh, what God's doing in the mission field, but also his own personal conviction about these things. And, you know, we all, I mean, I thank you for loving my dad so much. He's an awesome guy. I love my dad. Um, and he's a professor at Long Beach City College, so campus students, if you want to get in, you know, uh, talk to him afterwards. Anyway, uh, I'm really excited about this, but, but he... Um, uh, so anyways, we're gonna, I'm going to be now in these meetings helping to determine how we use the funding that we give. Because the church here in GLB is very generous. We gave $108,000 last year to missions, to God's glory. Amen? So this year, to say we want to give 105000 we can do this. We've done it before. We can do this again. Now, our greater goal here in GLB is everybody gives something. We talked about this last year. Remember that? Everybody gives something because there was about 45% of the church that gave nothing. 
Now, it changed after our little family midweek last year. <laughs> it changed. But I'm just saying, we're in this together. Let's do this together. We are partnered. We're, I'm excited in St. Louis. Uh, there's going to be a huge conference happening in St. Louis here in July called REACH. And um, there's going to be about 14,000 disciples from all over the United States, Canada, uh, the Caribbean, coming together to worship God. And at this time, at that, at that conference, we're, we've been, there's been a lot of prayer and conversations. We're going to be able to present sort of a, a, a plan for global missions, a plan for, for how are we going to continue evangelizing the world. And so it's really exciting to see churches continuing to partner together to work together to advance the gospel all over the world. You and I get to be part of something worldwide, not just here at McBride High School, amen, but worldwide. Now, I believe with all my heart we could literally evangelize the world from Long Beach. We have every nation under God living in Long Beach. I mean, if we, we, could, we could literally evangelize the world just from here and send people back to home countries or, or give them vision to, to, to help support uh, evangelism and the spread of the gospel in their home countries. I mean, it's, it's an amazing city that we live in. And so I hope that you have vision. I hope that you are excited. I want to call us to have a day of fasting this week for missions, for global missions. I'm going to let you pick it. You're like, what? I'm going to let you pick it, but I would like for all of us to take one day this week where we're just going to fast for 24 hours and say, you know what, I'm going to dedicate this fast to God and to his plan that every, every nation would get a chance to hear the gospel of Christ. And in that prayer and in that fasting, I want to encourage you, if the Lord moves you to give more, then amen. If the Lord moves you to give something because you were planning on giving nothing, then Amen. But my prayer is that you would be moved by the cries of the, our disciples, by the, by the victories and the defeats of our disciples, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and Mexico and Central America. That would move your heart to say, man, we're part of a global community, a global movement to God's glory. Amen, church? Let's pray to God and we're going to read a verse and continue our worship. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for our... Uh, time together to worship you, to, to um, get into your word. Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to um, continue growing, continue getting better, that, you, that we would be more and more like your son, Jesus. Father, we want to put before you our missions contribution that's coming up next week, that you would multiply the resources, multiply the efforts uh, to your glory, that we would help, it would be go to help so many disciples and churches around the world. Father, as we uh, also are uh, this weekend celebrating Memorial Day, I do want to just thank you for the many men and women who have sacrificed their lives uh, for our nation, that we get to live in a nation uh, where we have this freedom of speech and this freedom of, uh, to, to be able to worship you publicly like this. And uh, so many nations don't even have that. And we are so thankful that we get to have that to your glory. We love you. We praise you. We know that you will multiply the efforts as we give generously to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Hey, guys. Yeah, not done yet. <laughs> hey, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. These guys are prepared, man. They're on it. 
What I want to do today is I want to take some time to celebrate God. Celebrate God and how God moves and God transforms and brings us into the brand new. We just finished our series last week, Brand New. But I felt, man, let's just continue just one more Sunday talking about new, fresh, being new in Christ. And I want to uh, talk about how God transforms us and brings us to the new, to, to new perspectives, new, uh, a new life. And I, um, I'm always so inspired by this story here. And I want to read, we're going to read this together. But the Apostle Paul, you can read his conversion story in that book of Acts in chapter 9. And then he recounts it a couple of times. And then at the end, kind of toward the end of the written uh, ministry life that he has there in the book of Acts uh, that Luke uh, writes about, he, he um, shares this account. Paul is before uh, the Roman governor, Festus, and before the king of uh, the Jews, at the, uh, king, of, uh, king Agrippa, and he's sharing his testimony. He's sharing with them, this is what happened to me to bring me into the brand new. Acts 26, verse 9 says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This guy described himself as obsessed with persecuting Christians. He was part of the the Pharisee sect of Judaism where they memorized the law and they stood above other people and they they were... Jesus talked about Pharisees all the time and said, don't be like one of those guys. They're the yeast that goes through the whole batch of dough. Don't be like that. Paul was that guy that Jesus said, don't be like that. Not only was Paul that guy, but Paul was the guy who was so passionate about Jesus not being preached and proclaimed in that world at that time. He literally went to different cities to arrest Christians, put them in prison, and watch them be executed. That's Paul, who many of us, we always know Paul as the guy who wrote half of the New Testament, an amazing you know, follower of Jesus and leader in the church. But we don't remember, at least sometimes I forget, where this guy comes from. He continues, he says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Saul, before he was Paul, was so out there, so extremely passionate about persecuting Jesus' followers 
that Jesus himself had to come down and share his faith with Paul. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it couldn't, he couldn't leave it up to somebody else. It had to be Jesus himself. Let me come down and get this guy's attention. He says this interesting statement. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I've always read this passage and kind of just, you know, read past that. Like, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to read past it. Kind of, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you've ever done that in your Bible reading, but I just didn't know what I meant. So I started, I wonder what Jesus meant by this. And this apparently was a, a proverb that was used in the Gentile community. It was a very well-known proverb, that an observation about life. And basically, if you're in agriculture and you're, you have your oxen, you use this, this uh, goad to stab your, to, get, to prod your oxen if they start veering off track. And so you, 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 you prod them back into the direction you want them to go. Well, a lot of times what would happen is the oxen would, get, would just get frustrated and start kicking it and experience more pain because they would kick it, but then realize there's an iron tip at the end, and it would stab them. So it would kind of sink into their flesh. See what I'm saying? Some of you guys are like, animal rights, what's going on back there? <laughs> and so this, this idea of kicking against the goads that, that, this, that Jesus was saying and that, that he was referencing to, was this statement was used for somebody who is always just stubborn or rebellious against the direction they needed to be going. Does that make sense? And so I thought about this, and I thought, you know what? Doesn't that describe a lot of us today sometimes? Kicking against the goads. You know you need to repent. You know you need to follow Jesus. You know he's calling you to something higher and greater in your life. You know the truth about baptism and forgiveness of sins. You know God is wanting a heart change for you, but you're kicking against the goats. And all it's going to do is continue to cause you more pain. And I don't know what God's going to have to do to get your attention, but you keep on kicking against him and fighting him, and Jesus is like, it must be hard for you to kick against the goats. Like, I'm going to win this thing. But keep on fighting. Keep on pushing back. Keep on debating baptism. Keep on debating purity and impurity and sin and grace. Keep on debating all that stuff. Keep on fighting against what my plan is for your life. Some of us just need to humble out. Some of you guys are in a, uh, some of us, some of us are in a mentoring relationship. We don't realize, you know, with another brother or sister, we don't realize that God's using this person to help us. And so we kick against the goats and disagree with everything they say and debate them on everything. And you don't realize maybe God's using this person to help you grow in your humility. Stop kicking against the goats. Paul was fighting God, was kicking against the goads because he wasn't living out the fulfillment, the will of God. He was persecuting God, persecuting Christ, persecuting followers of Christ 
And Jesus said, dude, you're going to continue doing this, but you're just going to cause more pain for yourself. Instead, Jesus calls him to something. Paul says, I asked, who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul explains that he heard Christ give him a mission, a direction. Jesus wanted him to go to open the eyes of the Gentiles, to turn them from darkness to light. And it's a very clear mission, a very clear direction. You know, I don't know, I'm not sure where you are at today, but some here are blind and need to have your eyes opened. I'm glad you're here. If you, if you think, if you don't know if you're a Christian or not, or if you haven't been to church in a while, and you're kind of like, I don't know about church, and I just came because this pretty girl invited me, or this guy invited me at work, or whatever. I don't, I don't know why you're here. But if you're here, and you're unsure about your faith, and not real positive, I'm doing this, if, I, if I'm really following Jesus, You may be blind and need your eyes to be opened. And we as a church are unashamed about that. Because we think everybody should become a Christian. So if you're here this morning and you think we have an agenda, we do. We want you to become a Christian. We want your eyes to be opened. We want you to join a community of believers who follow Jesus. Because we think Jesus has the, he's the best, he's the Lord, he is everything. There's no other world religion that teaches and that did what, did what Jesus did. A Messiah dying, raising from the dead. We're unashamed of what we want for your life. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you feel is preventing you from understanding who Jesus is. You know what our prayer is for you? That you would receive the forgiveness of sins and understand that he is for you. He's not trying to fight you. You're the one fighting God. He's not fighting you. He's for you. He's given up everything for you. Paul says, so then, Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they would repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. The message of Jesus almost killed this guy. It's incredible to think about. He was so passionate about this message, it almost killed him. Because it went against what, pe- what the norm was, what the culture was. Jesus went countercultural. And repentance is countercultural. Proving your repentance and your deeds is countercultural. And it almost killed him. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people, the Israelite community, and to the Gentiles. 
I love, Paul didn't waste time. He preached the word. He preached the gospel right here. He says, this is the story. Jesus would suffer. He would rise from the dead. And he would bring a message of light to everyone. And it's so funny what happened right after this. At this point, Festus, the governor, Roman governor, interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul! He shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king, King Agrippa, who's kind of a, he, he oversees the Jewish population, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. <laughs> you got to love Paul. He's so confident. He's so confident, so sure of this message that is being preached. He said, this is not done in a corner. It wasn't like hidden. Everybody knows about this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Accept these chains. Paul's claim of a resurrected Christ sounded absurd to a Gentile governor like Festus. But Paul was so cool about it. It wasn't done in a corner. It's true and reasonable. You know, the evidence for Christianity and the evidence for the authenticity of the Bible is so powerful. It's so reasonable. It should give you and I great confidence. The issue is never evidence, although it's helpful to know these things. The issue that we have in our society is our love for ourselves and our love of sin. It's, it's not intellectual. Many, the majority of time, it's not intellectual. It's just we don't want to repent. We want to fight and kick against the goads. And so we kick against the goads. We argue evidence. We want someone to prove it. We think we know that judgment and fairness, you know, we think we know judgment and fairness really look like and should be. And we're not open to the fact that we may be wrong in fighting God this whole time. You know, I think for our disciples, as Christians, in our evangelism, we can imitate Paul here. He didn't get frazzled by Festus' statement, you're insane! He didn't get discouraged by Agrippa's condescending remark, you think you're going to make me a Christian? Instead, he kept his head. He stayed cool. He said one of the most inspiring statements, I believe, in the whole book of Acts, in my opinion. I pray to God that not only you, but everyone here listening, will become what I am except for these chains. That's why I say we're unashamed of what we want for people in our society. We believe that you become a Christian, it'll make you better at life. You've got the Holy Spirit. You'll be able to overcome that sin that haunts you. I pray to God that everyone here will become what I am, except for these chains. Do you feel this way, Christian? Or do you shy away at work in your, or in your family or at school? Do you have the same passion, Christian? Oh, well, I think it would be better if Jesus just came and spoke to me directly, like he did with Paul. 
He has. He's given you the Gospels. Read it. Today we're going to read some stories. We're going to hear some stories about how some of our brothers and sisters went from being blind to seeing clearly, from kicking against the goads to accepting God's way and discipline. But my hope is that we would be inspired by God and His amazing work in others' lives, that it would remind us of what He's doing in our lives and what He may want to do in your life. But maybe you're not surrendering. Maybe you're still fighting against the goads. I hope that this time would inspire you. Let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to sing, sing a couple songs. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.